Open your Bible with me to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, and we're going to look at verses 25 through 34. When you get there, you'll notice that this is toward the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, which Rusty began reading for us this morning. The greatest of the sermons of Christ given to teach his disciples how we should live in the world. What kind of things should we give ourselves to? From what kind of things should we keep ourselves from? Very much of what is bound up in living in the world, Christ addresses in this sermon. And much of it centers around the fact that Our Christianity, our belief that we have in our heart must come out in practical living. We must, like we studied this morning and as was read in the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, we must forgive because we've been forgiven. It's one thing to know that, that we should do that. It's another thing altogether to actually, by the help and grace of God, to do that. So this sermon touches many of those types of issues. It's preeminently practical. I encourage you to read it. Read it often, because it is the greatest sermon of Christ given in the Gospels, the greatest sermon of Christ, period. So if you found your place in verses 25 down through verse 34... Let me read that. We're in Matthew chapter 6. Jesus says, Therefore, I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to his stature? Some translations put there can add one hour to his life. So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow, they neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now if God so clothes the grass of the field, which, which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not worry, saying, What shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For after all of these things the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Let's pray. Father, we ask you to take these words of our Savior and apply them to our hearts. Lord, help us to receive them willingly, joyfully, 
as your words for us. We pray and ask it in Christ's name. Amen. The subject here is anxiety, worry, giving an inordinate care for the things of this world. And we also have words of Paul in Philippians chapter 4, verse 6 and 7, which tell us, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. We know those verses well. Some have committed those verses to memory. We should quote those verses to ourselves often. All of that is good, but we do even better when we actually apply those verses to the everyday circumstances of life. Therein lies the difficulty. Is it possible for a believer in Christ to live this life free of anxiety? Be careful how you answer the question. The world would tell you absolutely not. The world would even tell you a bit of anxiety and care is even healthy and good. But all throughout Scripture, the expectation is that those who are children of God would trust in their Heavenly Father's protection and provision for them. This is the point of these verses we read out of Matthew chapter 6. So I want to break these down in, in, in three parts. I want to talk about the negative command, and that comes first where Jesus says, Do not worry. Then the second part is the futility of worrying. What does it accomplish in the end? And that's summarized by Jesus saying, no one, by worrying, can add one cubit to his stature. doesn't add anything to your life. It only detracts. And we're going to see what it detracts from in just a moment. And then the third part, not just the negative command, do not worry, and the futility of it, but then the positive command. The positive command is found down... In the 33rd verse, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all of these things shall be added to you. And that follows the normative pattern of scripture. What I mean by that, the scripture never calls a believer away from something without putting something else in its place. Isn't that the way Paul writes to the Colossians, Ephesians, Philippians? He'll say, put off and then put on. So Jesus here, in essence, is doing the same thing. He's telling us to put off one thing and to replace it with something else. But since we dove right into the middle of this Sermon on the Mount, let me catch us up to where we are. Because as you study, as you read this, you'll notice that there are a string of therefores that run throughout this sermon. Jesus is building truth upon truth, line upon line, precept upon precept. And so we jump right into one of those in verse 25 when he says, Therefore, I say to you, do not worry. Upon what foundation is this saying of Christ built? It would be authoritative if it was on no foundation at all. But it does rest 
upon the verses immediately preceding it, which deal with the impossibility of serving two masters. Let me back up just a bit and read verse 19 down through verse 24. Jesus says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be, will be also. The lamp of the body is the eye. If therefore your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will else be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. And then we get the therefore of verse 25. So these verses are built upon the impossibility of serving two masters. Now let's talk about the word serve here in verse 24. It literally means to be enslaved, to be in bondage. Jesus is saying you cannot be enslaved by both God and mammon. Mammon here is representative of the world's system or the world's thinking concerning finances or money. And you might say, well, that's strong language to say that you can't be enslaved to God and language. The implication here is that a believer, a Christian, is indeed enslaved to God. His servant. The word here, is, as runs throughout the scriptures, most often, either in noun or verb form for serve, refers to one that has willingly enslaved himself to a loving, caring master, the bondservant of the Old Testament. Jesus is saying you can't do both. You cannot be my bondservant and a bondservant of the world's system or of money at the same time. And then he goes throughout the verses that we've read, and he's building upon that, showing us the impossibility of it. Charles Spurgeon called the three things that Jesus addresses here food, drink, and clothing, the trinity of the world system. The trinity of cares of the world system. And think about it. All of the advertising that you see doesn't, most of it, most of it, not all, most of it centers around these things, right? What you're going to eat, what you're going to drink, and what you're going to wear. Jesus says, we'll see it again later, that these are the things that the Gentiles seek. And by using the word Gentile there, some of your Bibles have the word pagan. It basically means here in this context, those who do not belong to him. It can strictly mean those that aren't Jews, and in many places it does. But here Jesus is using this to refer, these are the things that consume unbelievers' thoughts, their actions. And they're centered on the temporary nature, the fleeting nature of the things 
of this world. These are the things that Jesus is telling us not to be anxious about. And it encompasses, notice verse 25, our very life. Do not worry about your life. When we do worry about these things, we fail to apply what we know. We fail to apply what we say we believe to the circumstances of life. We give credence to the fact or the scripture that says God will provide. That is one of the ways that he revealed himself in the Old Testament. Jehovah Jireh, the Lord who provides. When we begin to worry and become anxious over these things, then in essence what we're doing is not applying that truth to everyday life. And as with most teaching in scripture, there needs to be a balance, right? Do you remember what Paul said about the man who wouldn't work to the Thessalonian church? What did he say about him? If he won't work, he won't eat. How do we bring these two things together? One translation says, give no thought. Give no thought to your life. Give no thought to what you're going to eat. Give no thought to what you're going to drink. Give no thought to what you're going to wear. How do we balance that with the expectation of Scripture that we are to be diligent? Whatever our hand finds to do, we are to do it with all of our might, as unto the Lord. We have to bring these both to the table and see that what Jesus here is teaching is not laziness. He's not teaching complacency. He's not saying, just go sit down under a tree somewhere and wait for me to bring you something to eat. What he is saying is that by faith, as you are working, he says, consider the birds. What do birds do? They're active, right? They are continually on the search for something to satisfy, to satisfy them, and the Lord provides it. Jesus is not teaching that it is an excuse for us to be lazy. What he is teaching us is to rely wholeheartedly upon his provision. Part of his provision is enabling us to work. And in fact, that is part of the curse that we're living under in the world, right? It's by the sweat of our brow that we will eat. And that the thorns will stick in our hands as we try to make a living and provide food for our table. Jesus is saying here, based upon what we read in verse 24, about the impossibility of serving God and mammon. That we have to have our priorities straight, right. The negative command again. Do not worry about your life. Take no thought. It's incompatible for a Christian to be so consumed with anxiety over the future and yet to say at the same time that we trust wholeheartedly in the providence and sovereignty of God. But yet, this is where so many of us live. Day to day, Consumed by the trinity of the world's cares. We're told in places like Psalm 55 verse 12 to cast our burden on the Lord knowing that he cares for us. 
Peter echoes those words. Making application of them to Christians. Saying bring your burdens to the Lord. Cast them upon him. Knowing that he cares for you. Jesus says the body is more than food and clothing. Life is more than our temporal needs. One of the ways Jesus responded to the temptation of Satan in the wilderness is by quoting scripture that says, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by the very word of God. Verse 26, he tells us, he tells the people there gathered on the mountainside to hear him look. And this word means really to take a long look of consideration at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap, nor do they gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? How do you answer that question? Of course. We are the unique creation of God created in his image, which really flies in the face of much of our society, right? The animal rights activists that want to have equal rights for human and animal. Now, I'm all for caring for your beast, right? The proverb says a righteous man regards the life of his beast. We have a stewardship, a dominion of sorts that stretches out over them, but they are not our equals, Jesus says, consider them. They are far inferior to you. They do not bear my likeness or my image, but yet my Father in heaven is so compassionate toward them that he provides for them. And then we see the second point of this, the futility of worry. Which of you by worrying can add one cubit to his stature? What good does it do? If the Lord were to give us opportunity to to actually lie on a deathbed with some conscious thoughts at the end of our lives, how tragic would it be to think back upon all the hours, days, weeks, months of our lives we spent in anxiety over these things that Jesus says, don't worry. There are better things to give your mind to. There are better things to give your cares to. There are better things to give your strength to. Better things to give your abilities to than worrying. And that's where the positive command of this portion of the sermon comes into play. Down in the 33rd verse, seek first the kingdom of God. But before we get there, Jesus asks these rhetorical questions. So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not not much more clothe you And then these penetrating words, oh, you of little faith. I don't know if that hits home with you like it does to me so often. To be one of little faith. 
Martin Lloyd-Jones says, to be of little faith is a result of ultimately failing to apply what we know to everyday life. To be overcome with doubt. To be overcome with fear. To see what little we can actually see that tomorrow holds, if any. And yet just be completely overcome with anxiety because of it. You realize we really have no idea whatsoever what tomorrow holds. Verse 31, Jesus says, therefore do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, drink, or wear? For after all of these things the Gentiles seek. Now here's the correlation. When we become inordinately concerned about these things, we are living basically as unbelievers. We're living just like those who do not have a Father in heaven who cares for them and is compassionate toward them. We're living as those who do not have the Spirit of God in our hearts, causing us to cry out to Him as a Father. It's right, it's fitting, I suppose, for those who do not know God to be overcome with anxiety and worry. There is no hope, there is no truth upon which they stand, there is no rock upon which they rest, there is nothing that they know with any certainty about the future, there is nothing they know with any certainty about what happens to them when they die. So we could say that they are living according to their nature when they are overcome with anxiety about the right now temporal needs. But that's unfitting for us as believers. Why so? Because we do have a Father in heaven. We do have a Father in heaven who cares for his own who is full of mercy, full of compassion, and is telling us here again in this place that He will exercise His vast resources on our behalf. How often have you quoted to yourself the verse, the cattle on a thousand hills belong to the Lord, and then how often do you find yourself in a pinch and that truth that once comforted you goes out the window? That's where we end up in this predicament of little faith. Oh, you of little faith. The people throughout church history that have accomplished most for the Lord were people of great faith in the face of bleak circumstances. Men like George Mueller, Adoniram Judson, who had very little to show for their efforts and very little expectation except waking up each morning knowing the Lord has renewed His mercies to them and He will do all toward them that the Scripture says that He would. I was reading some commentary on these verses and I think it was Martin Lloyd-Jones that brought out the fact of You remember the account in Scripture when Jesus was on the boat with the disciples. A storm arose. Jesus was in the bottom of the ship asleep. The disciples were up top, all agitated, anxious. Jesus says the same thing to them. Oh, you of little faith. 
He was perfectly resting as the Son of God in the provision and watch and care of his Father over them. Well, let's get down to verse 33, the positive side of this. If we're not to be consumed with worry, anxiety about these things in life, then what are we to do? Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. So here is a good place to interject a question. What is first on your list of priorities? There is a good way to answer that question without saying a word. And it's by asking yourself, to what degree am I worrying about these things that Jesus says don't worry about? Often... Our actions do indeed speak louder than our words. And they reveal what's in our heart. Seek here means to actively search for. It's a different word in the original, but same in the English as what is Jesus says in verse 32. The Gentiles, after these things, the Gentiles seek. The meaning is basically the same. It means to actively search. And you, you, can, think of, you can think of an animal that is actively searching for food. Turning over rocks, turning over rotten logs, turning over this and turning over that. They are actively searching and seeking out. Or you think of the parables that Jesus told about the pearl of great price. Or about the woman who swept her house and and searched, diligently searching. This is the kind of seeking that Jesus is speaking of here. It should rise to the surface of our heart, of our time, of our energy, our opportunities. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, or in other words, the righteousness that accords with his kingdom. And all of these other things shall be added to you. Notice these words are set forth in in place of importance or priority. Seek first. It's not just seek when you will or when you can. It's seek of as of utmost priority. Seek first the kingdom of God. Be about promoting the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all of these other things the Lord is going to provide for you in due time. And that gets us down to the summary of this section of the sermon. Therefore... Do not worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Jesus is saying, in a sense, 
There's enough trouble in this day right here to consume you. Don't go and borrow from tomorrow. There is enough trouble right here today. But what do we do? We go out and borrow tomorrow, next week, next month's trouble. And we bring all of that and let it rest upon us. And there is the cause of our extreme anxieties and worry. And the scriptures tell us some great truths that are helpful in combating the very thing Jesus is telling us not to do. The scriptures tell us that all of our days are numbered. The Lord knows them. He knows our beginning. He knows our end. And he promises in that to give us strength for our days. He promises to give you strength for today. Because this is the the only day that he has promised you. And I realize we very often look down the road and we begin to ask questions. How am I ever going to do this or that? Well, one of the things I think we learn as we grow and as we grow in faith and maturity and sanctification is the Lord very often, very, very often only dispenses grace when we need it. You ever experienced that? He will give you grace in the moment that you need it. He will give you grace in the day that you need it. So one of the crippling things is life is to look at tomorrow or next week or even down the road and say, I can't even handle what I've got now. How can I even begin to fathom being more being added to my plate? Well, how did Jesus teach us to pray? If you back up in the sixth chapter. For daily bread. For enough for today. Well, the same thing. Would apply. He would give us grace for today. And all the trouble that this day holds. All of the things that we will deal with in this day. Now again. We have to bring some balance to this. Jesus is not saying that we shouldn't plan. He also teaches about the failure of one to sit down and consider the cost before he builds. Right? So we have to, to bring all of these things What is at the heart of this parable is unbelief and distrust. Unbelief and distrust in the things that God has said he would provide and he will care for. Notice Jesus says in verse 32, your heavenly father knows that you need these things. He knows. That you need and I need something to eat, something to drink, and something to wear. And even with those three three things, I think they're, they're just representative of different parts of life. Does it refer literally to our clothing? Yeah, I think there's an application literally to our clothing. But that's more representative of the things that we need to sustain our daily lives. We need shelter. We need all kinds of things that the Lord is going to provide for us. He knows we need them. He 
He's faithful to provide them. That's why he says don't worry about it. Is this much more easily said than done? Shake your head like this. Yep. Much more easily said than done. Are we living in unbelief and doubt when we do become consumed with worry about these things? Shake your head like this again. We're living in unbelief and doubt. Are we dishonoring the Lord when we live in this way? Shake your head like this again. We're doing that too. The Lord would have us live in complete dependence upon Him. To be satisfied in Him. To be first about seeking His kingdom. And not our own. All of these things represent our own type of kingdom building, so to speak. And our first matter of priority is to seek the kingdom of God, his righteousness, knowing that he will provide all of these other things for us. So we should humbly beseech the Lord for more grace, more mercy, and live in the trouble that this day brings. It's not to say that there aren't lots of joys in this day, too. Go back and read Ecclesiastes. There's a season for all of this, right? A time for all of it. The Lord sets the menu of each day of what he will bring and set in front of us. We're to take it as it comes with help and grace and strength that he provides in a way that is promoting the righteousness of the kingdom. Lord, help us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the words of Jesus. We thank you for the reminder, Lord, that we need not be overcome with anxiety about the things that you already know that we need. Father, help us to seek first the kingdom of God. To seek first the righteousness that flows out of this kingdom. Help us not to borrow trouble from tomorrow. Lord, increase our faith. Help us to trust. Help us to to increasingly pray for grace and strength for the day at hand. Lord, you've proven yourself faithful to us. Time and time again. Help us to to feed off of that. And to expect more from you. So Lord we pray and ask. That you would give us more grace. And we do so in Christ's name. Amen.